And you know, this kind of discipleship, it's slow. It takes a long time. They're going to see your failures and your mistakes. It's kind of, you can like put on a face like for a while if you're speaking at a conference, but if you're welcoming someone into your life, they're going to see you get angry at your kids. <laughs> you're going to see your failures. Good news is they can actually, when they see your failures and sins, you get to model how to respond to your failures and sins. What is friendship with a vision? You've heard of the Great Commission where Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. But maybe you think to yourself, that's just for missionaries and so-called super Christians. I'm just not a social person or I don't know enough to do that. Hi, I'm David Dennis with the Kansas Communities Ministry with the Navigators. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hear again from Mr. John Anderson, Campus Ministry Director at WSU, Wichita State University for the Navigators, as he continues his series on Compelled to be Disciple Makers. This is the fifth podcast that John is bringing us. He spoke at our Spring Men's Retreat in early April 2022. He elaborates on the concept of discipleship being simply friendship with a vision. In this podcast, John mentions a handout and will attach it in the show notes as a free download. You guys could just do that. come to my, my nav nights and do that every time. That'd be great. I just need hype men. Uh, let me pull up my next slides here. While I'm getting going, I have a handout for you guys this session. This is the only session you get a handout, so I hope you enjoy it. Can someone help me hand out my handouts? Can I get a volunteer? Oh, right here. My man. Thank you, Christopher. All right, well, while those are coming out, I want to talk about last words. <clears throat> you guys, first of all, I'm glad to see that I haven't scared all of you off. Many of you are still here. Thank you for sticking around. But I believe that someone's last words, someone's last words can carry a special weight. History is full of famous last words that we remember for their significance, their surprise, and their humor. And I want to share a few famous last words for you with you today. Nathan Hale was a Revolutionary War American spy who was hanged by the British during the American Revolution, and he said, I only have but one life, my only regret is that I have but one life to lose for my country. Those were his last words before he was executed by the British. Winston Churchill, uh, British Prime Minister during World War II, said, I'm so bored of it all. That's a very Churchill thing to say at the end of his life. James French was a convicted murderer who was sentenced to death by the electric chair. And before he died, he said, hey, fellas, how about this for a headline for tomorrow's paper? French fries. And then he fried. And then Jesus gave his last words. To go and make disciples of all nations. So, so far, guys, this weekend, we have gone with Isaiah into the throne room of God to get a right perspective on him and his power on our sin and on grace. Thank you. We've heard his invitation to be ambassadors because of his love, no matter the cost. And now I want us to look closer at Jesus' last words, some of his last words before he ascended to his father. See, before Jesus went to heaven, he left us a mission. We call it the Great Commission. And there's some version of the Great Commission recorded in every one of the Gospels and in the book of Acts. And tonight, today I want to focus on the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. 
So go ahead and if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Does anyone here have these verses memorized? Very close. That'd be more like Mark 16, 15. That's very close. That's Matthew 5, 16. Steve, you had your hand up? Okay, yeah. I was good. It went quiet on me just now. That's okay. And Jesus came into them and said, louder, louder, please. And Jesus came into them and said, All authority in the heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you from the very end of the age. Perfect. Thank you, David. Thank you. So Jesus' last words here, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. I'll say it in the ESV. Uh, it says, and he, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teach, uh, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So for the rest of this morning, we're going to unpack the Great Commission. And then we're going to get a little practical on what it looks like for us to obey the Great Commission right where we're at. So let me pray for us and we'll get going. God, Thank you again for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Would you instruct us, teach us, and rebuke us, and correct us, and train us in righteousness by your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we look at Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples, uh, and he's given them a mission before he returns to his Father. And it's really important. So oftentimes when we look at this passage, we neglect verses 18 and 20. We can't afford to look past verses 18 and 20. He begins by saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus has all authority in all the earth. He is the King and the Lord, and he could literally tell us to do anything, and we'd have to do it. Because he's the only one who has authority to give us a command. He could say, go conquer the world for me by the sword, and we would. He could say, therefore, everyone must wear hats, and we would all wear hats. But he says, therefore, go and make disciples. Jesus has all authority. And not only does he have all authority, he promises to be with us always. Behold, I, the one who has all authority, am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gives us a mission and promises to use all of his power to help us do it. It's going to get done. The great commission of Jesus does not depend on our power or our authority or on our ability, but on his power and his authority. And he has sent us in his authority to carry out his mission. If you look at verse 18 and 19 then, the, or verse 19 and 20, the, the kind of meat of the command, Jesus gives four imperatives, four commanding verbs. To go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. And if it, I, I don't know Greek, but I've heard from those who do, uh, that in this verse, in, in the Greek original Greek uh, grammar, there's one primary command. And the others are participles. They tell you how to do this command. The primary command that Jesus gives to his church is to make disciples of Jesus. And we do it by going, baptizing, and teaching. But the primary command we've been given is to make disciples. And if we're going to do that, we probably need to know what a disciple is. It's hard to make a disciple if you don't know what a disciple is. The word disciple means learner or student or pupil. And and we often think of it from the Greek model of discipleship. It was a classroom model. So it's someone standing and teaching and a bunch of people taking notes and learning. And that's good. We're kind of doing that a little bit right now. But, but 
Jesus was more likely referring to making disciples the way that rabbis would make disciples, Jewish teachers. And the way they did that is they'd have people follow them, and their, their students wouldn't just learn their teaching, they'd learn their way of life. When a student, when the disciple was fully trained, they would be like their master. I would say here, as we look at this, a disciple is a, uh, someone who believes in Jesus and is learning to obey all his commands. A disciple of Jesus is someone who believes in him and is learning to obey all his commands. And he tells us how to make disciples then. We need to bapt- go baptize and teach. And when Jesus is talking about baptism, I don't think he's just talking about water. If all we needed to do to obey the Great Commission was get people dunked in water, we would go to the highway, or I'd go to Wichita State's campus with a fire hose, and I'd spray down as many people as I can in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and boom, 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 obeying the Great Commission. Let's go get helicopters dumping water on uh, cities over the world. We'll baptize everyone. It'll be great. No, it's not about the water. The baptism is a sign that someone has given their life to Jesus. It's a picture of dying to myself and being risen again with Christ. When Jesus is saying to baptize, I think he does want us to baptize people with water. But more importantly, he wants people to believe in him. We baptize people who believe in Jesus and have given their lives to him. And I think this means that we're not obeying the Great Commission if we're neglecting evangelism. We're not obeying the Great Commission if we're neglecting evangelism. And I think this has been a missing piece in a lot of churches and ministries I've seen a lot of Navigator Ministries, including my own at times, where we focused on gathering Christians, helping them grow in their walk with Jesus, and then training them to go gather other Christians and help them grow in their walk with Jesus. And that's really good. People are really blessed by that. We're doing a lot of good when we do that, but we're not fully fulfilling the Great Commission because the gospel isn't advancing beyond us. The gospel needs to advance. Part of the Great Commission is evangelism. We're not fulfilling him if we're not sharing, like we talked about earlier. But we don't want to stop there. He says, in teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. We don't just want converts. When someone is born again, they're born as a baby. And we don't just want spiritual infants. Jesus wants them to mature and grow up. And that involves teaching them to obey his commands. And let me tell you, teaching someone to obey a command is a lot harder than teaching them the command. Any parents in the room absolutely know that. I can tell my kids not to jump on the couch, but they keep doing it. Teaching them to obey me in jumping on the couch is a lot harder than just teaching them the commands. If all we had to do was teach people Jesus' commands, we could get that knocked out this weekend. Boom. Done it. You're all disciples. We're, we're, we're done. Moving on. Let's go do the next thing. But no, teaching obedience requires spiritual parenting. I think we see this on display in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I've pulled out verses 7, 8, 11, and 12 here. This is Paul and Silvanus and Timothy talking to the Thessalonians. And he says in verse 7, But we were gentle among you, like nursing mothers and taking care of our own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. Because you had become very dear to us. Jumping ahead to verse 11. For you know how like a father with his children... We exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. We see here that discipleship, making disciples, requires motherly affection and fatherly direction. Motherly affection and fatherly direction. It's really interesting. Paul Paul compares himself to a mom and a dad. His disciples need motherly care and fatherly direction. 
We need motherly affection. People are people. They aren't projects to complete. If you're trying to disciple someone so you can feel like a better Christian or a better navigator, they're going to know. They're not going to grow. We need to truly love the people that we want to impact for Jesus. We need to genuinely care for our disciples with true affection, like a gentle mother with her children. But discipleship also requires fatherly direction. Friendship isn't the same thing as discipleship. Over the years, I've seen a lot of so-called discipleship that looks more like life processing or amateur counseling than it does helping someone learn to obey Jesus' commands. That can be really helpful. God's done a lot of good through it, but it's not the fullness of biblical discipleship. Biblical discipleship requires not just love, but direction and guidance and a purpose. So I like to say it this way. I define discipleship or making disciples as friendship with a vision. Friendship with a vision. Discipleship happens in real life. As friends, Jesus didn't just meet up with Peter at the Capernaum Starbucks to read the Bible. They lived their lives together. They went on road trips together. So we need to be together, eat together, work together. One man I discipled at, at Wichita State, uh, he, got a, he worked at a bank, and he would get the guys he was discipling, he'd get them hired at the bank so they could talk about Jesus while they work and memorize scripture together on the job and pray together on the job. It was awesome. They're being together. We need to share the gospel together with our disciples. And we need to have a vision for their spiritual growth. A vision for their spiritual growth. You don't need to have everything figured out. You just need to help them take one step. So for me, when I came to Christ, I gave my life to Jesus when I was in college. And when I did, there was a, a student leader in the Navigators who lived in my dorm. An upperclassman, a year older than me, named Ben. Uh, ben heard I came to Jesus. And he came up to me and said, John, I'm so excited to hear that you gave your life to Christ. Can I disciple you? which might not be the best approach. Um, and my, my first reaction in my head was like, I don't really know what that means. It sounds kind of churchy and kind of teachy. And I, I thought, you know, I grew up going to church. I know the Bible. There was David, he killed a giant. And like, there was a, a boat with a bunch of animals. I know the Bible. I never read the Bible for myself, but I thought I knew it. Uh, and so in my mind, I'm like, I don't really need that. But I was too nice to say no. I'm a people pleaser. So I said, yeah, sure, that'd be great. Uh, so we start, he started discipling me. And Ben and I would meet together. We went through a dusty old navigator study called Lessons on Assurance, where he taught me very foundational promises from God. At the time, it felt just really basic. But looking back, like those are things that I've staked my life on. The, the verses I memorized, the principles I learned from that have been the foundation of my walk with God ever since. He taught me how to spend time with God and have a daily quiet time. Uh, and at first, I didn't know what that meant, and I didn't really know how to do that, and I was struggling to do it consistently. So he actually started meeting with me every morning. We'd get up at 8, which felt early. Uh, we'd get up <clears throat> early at <clears throat> 8, and we'd meet in the dorm lounge, and we'd do a quiet time together. We'd pray together. We'd read a passage of Scripture and share what, what stood out to us, and then we'd pray for each other at the end. Uh, and I learned how to spend time with God and know Him through His Word, just through Ben doing that with me. He taught me scripture memory. He, uh, he, he'd pull out uh, his verse pack, again, the little like cigarette pouch size pack, and he'd just say, hey, John, can you check me on this verse I'm memorizing? And he'd ask me questions about it. I'll never forget the first one is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I could quote it for you, but we don't have the time. Uh, but he, he, he checked me on that verse and just modeled for me how to follow Jesus and intentionally helped me grow too. He taught me how to share my faith and read the Bible with people who don't believe it without me even realizing that's what he's doing. He said, hey, John, we should, we should read the Bible with some of your friends yeah, that's a great idea. He said, okay, well, how about you text your friends? We'll do it in your room. I'll lead the discussion and bring Bibles and pizza. 
Let's do it. And so just through being with him and watching him, I got to see what it's like to read the Bible with people who don't believe it. He was a friend to me. We did stuff together. We'd go to old Chicago and eat pizza together. Uh, and, but we also had a, he had a vision for my spiritual growth and how to help me be established and grounded in the faith and learn to walk with Jesus and obey his commands. So that's discipleship. Making disciples and obedience to the Great Commission uh, is friendship with a vision. I want to try to make it a little more practical for you guys. So on the, the front of this handout where it says discipleship, friendship with a vision, I've got a few practical things for you as you think about helping someone else spiritually. Here you go. Does anyone else need a handout? I've got extras. Here, you want to you hook up my friends here? So four, four practical ways to be helping someone grow in obeying Jesus' commands. Be with them. Have an intentional plan. Know where they need to go and help them take the next step. Be with them, have an intentional plan, know where they need to go, help them take the next step. Thank you. So first, be with them. Does anyone know Mark 3.14? It says, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach. Jesus chose... Uh, from among many disciples, 12, that he named apostles. And the first thing he appointed them to is to be with him and that he might send them out to preach. You know, the Son of God only spent three short, precious years ministering on earth, meeting the needs of human beings, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He worked very broadly during those 12 years, those three years, but yet he reserved the best of his time to invest deeply in 12 men. And he spent all of his time with them. And this was Jesus' strategy, not just to teach the masses, but to train men that the masses will follow. And how did he train them? He trained them by bringing them with him while he did ministry. Jesus ate with his disciples. He went on road trips with them. He went to weddings with them and his mom. He stayed in their houses. He had them come stay in his house. He healed people and cast out demons and preached the good news of the kingdom with them. They were with him in his most, in his darkest and most intimate moments with the Lord in the garden as he's praying desperately. They were with him uh, when he was revealed in glory as in the Mount of Transfiguration. They were with him while he raised the dead. They were with him while he faced opposition. And because they were with him, they were ready to do a lot of the same things Jesus did and to encounter a lot of the same hardships Jesus did because they learned by being with him. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's discipleship. is imitating Christ and bringing others with to learn from your example as you follow the examples of Christ. So I'd be curious to hear from you guys. What are some obstacles or challenges that exist with making disciples this way by being with people? It takes time. It takes time. Yep. Does anyone feel like they have a lot of free time, a lot of extra time to give? If you do, let me know. <laughs> Sometimes they might not want to be with you. Maybe you might not be the right one discipling them, if that's true. Uh, but yeah, they might not want to be with you. Was that? You're with other people. Yeah. You're tempted to uh, try to convert them to, to my way of thinking instead of letting God, uh, God's time, maybe God wants somebody else to disciple and not you, but just whatever it can be, you know. Mm-hmm. Show more compassion. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, there's even a temptation of, I want to make disciples of me. 
instead of disciples of Jesus. Yeah. Over here in the back. Being shy. Yeah, maybe you're an introvert. I don't want to be with people. I want. I need some me time. I'm like nervous to initiate. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you have your hand up? It does take courage. It takes a lot of courage. And you know, this kind of discipleship, it's slow. It takes a long time. They're going to see your failures and your mistakes. It's kind of, you can like put on a face like for a while if you're speaking at a conference, but if you're welcoming someone into your life, they're going to see you get angry at your kids. Uh, <laughs> you're going to see your failures. Good news is they can actually, when they see your failures and sins, you get to model how to respond to your failures and sins too. You know, I can't follow a perfect example at all, but I can follow an imperfect example that's following a savior. Uh, that's why he uses men for his purposes. You know, we have to initiate. That takes a lot of courage, especially if you're shy. You probably have to get at, gonna have to give up some me time to make disciples this way. You can't do this in a large group setting, but it's really powerful. One way I think about this kind of being with them, I think of it as pace setting. Does anyone here love to run? Any runners in the room? Maybe in the back, right up here. I don't love to run. Perhaps you can tell. Uh, and I remember when I was in high school, my gym teacher would make us run. And by looking at him, you could tell he also didn't like to run. Uh, and he would not run with us. He'd sit with us and say, all right, run for five minutes. And if he'd like call you out if you were walking. Uh, and so, of course, my running looked like this a little bit. And when he's not looking, I just walk. And then he's looking, I kind of run a little bit. I, I did not run very well when I was running for that gym teacher. But one time, uh, my friend Scott said, hey, John, I'm going to go for a run. You want to come with? And I was convicted that I need that bodily training is of some value. Uh, and so I said, yeah, sure, I'll go with you. Um, and so we started running, and, and he slowed himself down a lot for me. But he still ran faster than I would have run by myself. So I'm kind of huffing and puffing, and after a little while, I get kind of tired. I'm like, oh, Scott, I don't think I can keep going. I think I'm going to walk. You go on without me. He said, okay, that's fine. But tell you what, let's, let's run to that lamppost first, and then you can stop. I said, okay, I can make it to that lamppost. So I ran to the lamppost. Because my friend Scott ran with me, I ran when I wouldn't have run. I ran faster than I would have run by myself. And I ran farther than I would have run by myself. We need disciple makers to help us run after Jesus, to run faster than we would run by ourselves, to run farther than we would run by ourselves. Being a disciple maker is at its essence saying, follow me as I follow Christ. It's inviting people to join with you as you go after the Savior. And it's as simple as, hey, I'm going to, have, I'm going to read my Bible and spend some time with God. Do you want to join me for that? If that's all you're doing, man, you're helping make a disciple right there. Go and make disciples, Jesus told his followers. Have you ever thought about something so simple that John mentioned? Just inviting someone to read the Bible together with you as discipleship? You know, to me, that's a very doable thing. Be a peace setter for someone. Be an encourager. Join me next time as we continue this dynamic series with Mr. John Anderson on Making Disciples Naturally. The views expressed on this podcast are those of the speakers and are not necessarily the views of the navigators, nor of the Kansas Communities Ministry. Thank you for listening.